Everyone asks me what it feels like to be in a bobsled. And my description is, imagine being put into a garbage can, into a washing machine, and then thrown down a hill. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets. First-time Olympic bobsledder Taylor Austin is here. He'll be piloting two and four-man sleds for Team Canada at Beijing 2022. But just because this is his first Olympics doesn't mean he's a stranger to competition. He's been competing since 2011 and has earned many top finishes. Taylor was born and raised in Lethbridge, just like me. He moved to Calgary after graduating in 2008 and played football for the Calgary Colts before being recruited to bobsledding. We had a blast getting to know Taylor and learning the intricacies of bobsledding. He'll be competing in Beijing 2022 in the two-man sled on February 14 and 15 and the four-man on the 19th and 20th. We'll be screaming our faces off, cheering his team on in Beijing, and we hope you will be too. Enjoy our conversation. Hello, hello. Hello from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, <laughs> calling Taylor. The Taylor's calling Taylor. How you guys doing? Good, how uh, are you? So good. Good, just got my negative PCR test so we Woo! can officially go to China. <gasps> Yay, yeah. the all clear. That's exciting. And you're in Germany right now? Yeah, in Frankfurt, Germany, yeah. So were you doing training stuff in Germany too? What's the process? After we were in Switzerland, which was the last World Cup of the season, we were supposed to go back to Canada, but obviously airports are a massive hub for the virus right now. Yeah. So to best protect the athletes, they decided that we would just go back to Germany. And so we went to Königsee, Germany, where one of the other bobsled tracks are. Okay. They actually had a massive flood there this year in Birch's Garden. So the track is closed right now because they're oh, no. still repairing. So yeah, we're in Koenigsee for five days as like a little training holding camp. We had gym time scheduled in the University of Salzburg. So we went there to do our sprint training and weightlifting. And then we got to Frankfurt yesterday. We pretty much went straight to the airport to get a PCR test. The results just came in so we can use that to fill out our final paperwork to get like our essentially our import into China. So this is happening. Taylor, what does this feel like right now? You are <laughs> headed to the Olympic Games. Yeah, you know what? It's still not quite hit me yet. We just got our official accreditation. So it's kind of starting to hit me now. And the more things that kind of unfold, the more it's kind of starting to sink in a little bit more and more. I think the opening ceremonies will definitely push me over the edge that it's like, okay, this is our reality. Mm -hmm. We're flying in on the 27th. And then our event goes until the final day of the games. So we're there the entire, Oh wow! it ends up being almost three weeks we're there. Oh, wow. Do you have your schedule of specific races? We qualify two-man and four-man. So the 14th and 15th would be the men's two-man races. Okay. The women's monobob event, which will be the first time competing in the monobob. Oh. They race on the 13th and 14th. And then the two-women race will be on the 18th, 19th. And then four-man will be on the 19th and 20th. And then the 20th is also the closing ceremonies. Wow. Are you in the two-man and the four-man? Yeah, so I'm the pilot. So I'm the guy that sits in the front and hopefully gently and very carefully, but speedily, if that's a word, um, <laughs> it is now. gets us down as quickly as possible. We qualified the two men and the four man event, three sleds for the Canadian team. Wow. Um, oh, which wow. was a feat in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to be piloting the two man and the four man events. Wow, good for you. Is that common to have someone pilot both the two man and the four man? Yeah, so you start out just driving the two men. 
I kind of refer to the two men as like an SUV. You kind of can just like pull into a parking lot. It's easy to find a parking spot. You kind of just pull in maybe a little adjustments. Mm -hmm. But then when you're driving the foreman, it's kind of like driving like a big truck. You kind of need a little more space. It takes a little longer to turn into the spot. and The margin for error is a little more. That's got to be tough to just flip back and forth. It takes a lot of practice, definitely a lot of runs going back and forth, and then just understanding how your two men reacts and drives and then going back in your foreman and then having a mental, almost like a mental talk with yourself being like, okay, like I'm in the two man, it's going to be a little easier, a little speedier, but then the foreman, you just got to like anticipate that it's going to be a little longer to get around. It doesn't react as fast, even though you are going faster in the foreman. You just got to mentally prepare yourself knowing which sled you're getting into. Yeah. Jeez. Could you give us a overview for our listeners and ourselves for what we're going to be watching? What you guys see is a very, 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 very small part of what the actual sport entails. Mm. I'm going to describe a, a race day in it. It can yeah. be a two-man or four-man. Love it. So on the bottom of a sled, a two-man and a four-man, there's removable steel. And that's what glides on the ice. And then those are essentially bolted into the bottom of the sled. I could get into like detail stuff, but we'll be talking for for hours. (laughs) So the steel is kind of like a a sword blade, but it's not sharp like a sword blade. It's it's actually has a radius. So it's round on the bottom. Mm. For the premise of the race, you want to have this steel as shiny and polished as possible. After we're done training, we won't be using the steel anymore. We spend about two to three hours polishing with sandpaper, a fine sandpaper up to about 100,000 grit to make this steel pretty much like look like a mirror. So then that takes about two to three hours. And then we put it in like a, our, like a travel box just to like keep it safe. Mm-hmm. On the actual race day, we'll get to the track. We flip the sled upside down so we can put this removable uh, the steel on it, which we call our runners. And then we bolt it into place and then we flip it down. The sled is transported in what we call scabbards, which is essentially it's a sword blade cover, Mm. but just for a sled. So then that protects the polished steel that we just spent hours polishing. We load it into a truck, two sleds at a time, brings it to the top of the track. And then once it's at the top of the track, we bring the sled over into the start area into a section called Park for May. Each sled has a start order. Based on your start order, you put your sled where the number is. You flip it upside down, you do your kind of final details on the sled, and then we walk away. The sled has to be in this area about 45 minutes before, and then that gives the bobsleigh officials time to go over each sled and make sure each sled is in accordance with the bobsleigh rules. While that's kind of going on, the pilots usually do a track walk or at least like mental runs. So we either walk up or down the track just to kind of see each corner, mentally visualize it, mentally prepare ourselves to essentially not think and just be able to react and drive the sled exactly where it needs to go. How different are tracks from each other? Like, are they pretty different or do they kind of have a similar? Yeah. So principles are similar on tracks, like pressures. You want to steer through the pressure before the pressure, after the pressure. However, each track is very different and has its own unique flow and feel and rhythm and amount that you have to steer down the track. So when we walk the track, we try and just visualize and see and imagine our sled going down on like the perfect line. Once that's done, usually it takes about an hour to warm up to get ready to like a full race push. So then they have the coaches and stuff. We actually have to drag the sled upside down to the start area. And then usually dependent on weather, they'll have to cool the runners so it doesn't destroy the ice as fast Mm -hmm. because you don't want a hot steel on ice. 
or it'll deteriorate the ice super fast. So that's kind of like a little bit more of a control and it's usually very weather dependent. If it's already cold, then you don't really need to cool cold steel. Mm. But if it's like a warmer day, then they'll try and cool the steel to make it even for everyone and protect the ice as much as possible. And then now this is when the viewers come out. So we come out, we've done our full warm up. We've got our race suits on, we come out in jackets, we stay warm. All the visualization and preparation has come in. And then when you guys kind of see us on the start line is when that like final deep breaths, positive affirmations, kind of just let go, be present in the mm. moment, positivity. Mm. We're going to have some fun and let's see what we can do. And yeah. then you guys see us push as fast as we can, jump in the sled and then. Lie. Wow. What's the wattage that you guys are pushing when you're running to get started? The only metrics we see is our start speeds and then obviously the time. So I think in China, going into the first curve, I think it's about 45 kilometers an hour. I think most tracks are about that. Like usually we get the sled from zero to 40, 40 plus kilometers an hour within the first 50 meters. Nice. Wow. We have two kids aged eight and a half and 10, and they had a few questions for you. That was one of them. How fast does the sled well, well, actually one of them, how fast does it go? Like how fast can it go? How fast have you gone? I think the top speed ever in a sled was a format in Whistler and the team went 157 kilometers an hour. Oh, no, thank you. Pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd love that yeah. bowl, but not yeah. me. <laughs> that was world champs in Whistler in 2019. That was actually pretty cool to see. I think the fastest of four men I've driven is 154.9 and the two men I've driven 153.8, I think. So oh, is that all? So pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. Very fast. Yeah. 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 Wow. Oh my goodness. That is fast. That's almost too fast to see. Is it like, it's more feel now once you're in it, right? Is that, how does that work when you're flying that speed? The day that I went 153 plus kilometers an hour was when we were in Whistler, we were doing some sled testing. And the pilot that I was doing the testing with, he went before me, they announced the speed and he went 152 high kilometers an hour. I was like, okay, I like the track is, <laughs> the track is fast today. Okay. Like we need to be on this. So then I push, get in driving down, going through like the last couple of corners when you can like really feel it. But I was just like, oh man, I'm, I'm not going that fast. My teammate, he just like whooped me in speed. Oh, like good for him. So we like finished the run, stop the sled, get to the finish, get out. One of like the track workers came up to me and he's like, Taylor, like, do you know how fast you just went? And I was like, I don't know, like 150, 151. He's like 153.8, I think it was like eight kilometers an hour. And I looked at him and I was like, there's no way I just went that fast. Because like, again, like you're in the moment and you're yeah. so focused. And yeah. like you said, it's just feel and rhythm and repetition. And you mm-hmm. just like, put the sled exactly where you need to be in the moment mm-hmm. and everything else just slows down. <laughs> so in that moment to me, I didn't think we were going that fast at all, but on paper we were cooking. Yeah. Wow. You felt in control that whole time? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't believe in a perfect run, but like it was a really good run. The rhythm was on, like just everything kind of just like mm-hmm. melded together. Uh, Magic. It was pretty cool. Do you feel pressure being in the pilot position? Cause you're really the only one with a role once you're going down, right? Yeah, essentially, yeah. Once everyone loads and then the side push bars are in, it's all up to me. The guys in back, they're just trying to stay as low in aerodynamics as possible, trying to stay as still as possible until obviously we cross the finish line. The, the brakeman, the guy in the back, has to pull the brakes and stops us, which is also pretty fairly key, important. Pretty key role as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can go as fast as we want, but if we can't stop, then there's way more damage than. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do they know they crossed the finish line? Is there a beep? Yeah, so a... once we cross the finish line, I'll yell brakes. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll oh, actually just say okay. brakes. 
in a two man there can obviously hear me because they're right behind me, but then in a four man, because the brakeman's a little further away from me, each number two and number three will all relay back to the guy. And then usually number two and three, they actually stand up because depending on the sled, the guy oh. in the back can actually break if everyone's just seated in a position. Uh, it's like a game of telephone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty important to, to know where the finish line is because some tracks, the finish line is right out of the corner. So you can pull the brakes right off the corner, but there's quite a few tracks. I think even Beijing to it, you come out of the corner and there's quite a distance before the finish line. So you need to make sure everyone's down. Mm-hmm. Do we cross the finish line? Then they can get up because there's been lots of instances where you come out of the last corner, the mm-hmm. brakeman will break, oh, but then no. you're obviously breaking before you hit the finish line. Oops. So then it messes up the ice, which the track crew does not like. Really do not like. <laughs> yeah. And then you're also slowing yourself down. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Is the second guy in your two-man sled, is he also in your four-man sled or is it three different people behind you for that one? Usually the three people in the four-man sled, one of them will usually do the two-man. We were fortunate enough to have a spare this year. So there were times where the spare did a two-man race just to rest the four-man guys so they can perform. You said three Canadian sleds made it? Yeah. So there's three Canadian men's two-man and four-man teams going to games. How about women? We also qualified three women's two-man teams. And then in monobob, there's only a maximum of two sleds that can go and we qualified two for the women's monobob as well. Oh, cool. We qualified a maximum allocation this year, which is pretty phenomenal because they yeah. they changed the rules this year. So it actually makes it harder for mm. us to qualify three sleds. The competition is greater. So because oh, only wow. two nations get three sleds. Oh, wow. So for us to qualify a maximum quota is pretty That's huge. Pretty wow, amazing. Yeah. So obviously we're going into the Olympics and we're all aiming for gold, right? That's that's what we go for. <laughs> what are your hopes and dreams? I mean, it's the Olympics. Anything can happen, you know? I think with pretty much every athlete we've talked to, it's like, it's the best of the best of everybody. And if you guys had yeah. 10 different races, 10 different people could win each time. Absolutely. There definitely are the favorites. The one German guy is, I'd say, a very strong favorite to win both two-man and four-man. However, again, it's the Olympics. Anything can happen. And my Canadian teammate, Justin Cripps, he's the defending gold medalist who tied with said German. There's quite a few other nations, pilots that are all very, very strong. I put my other teammate, Chris Spring, up there as well. And I heard in the news that Jamaica has a bobsled team for the first time since the 1988 Olympics in Calgary. So there'll be more eyeballs on that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really good to see the exposure that those guys have gotten since qualifying the two-man and four-man. I was fortunate enough to race against those guys all season. Ah. It was really good to see those guys excel this year and do well enough to qualify Mm -hmm. for the first time since the 88 games, both the two-man and the four-man. So what does a bobsled pilot think about the movie Cool Runnings? (laughs) Realistic? Um, It's a great movie. It's a great story. John Candy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It definitely does portray a lot of factual things that happen in the sport of bobsled. Mm. So you spend a lot of time in your bathtub practicing your corners? (laughs) Well, I was going to say, you're not from Jamaica, but you are from Lethbridge, and we don't have a bobsled track here. Nope. (laughs) You are from Lethbridge, right? Born and raised Lethbridge. I stayed there until I graduated high school in 2008. Shout out CCH. And then I moved up to Calgary. Tell us about your sport journey. After high school, I was recruited to go play junior football in Calgary. So I moved up there in the summer of 2008. And I played football with the Calgary Colts for four years in total. The part of me actually wanting to try bobsleigh, like the the like light bulb idea, 
I can't actually remember. I Googled Bobsleigh Calgary and I found the local club had a initial meeting with one of the guys that runs the club. And then he directed me to the provincial level director, had a meeting with him. And then a couple of nights later, I had this kid call me up and he's like, Hey, are you free tonight? Do you want to go for a bobsled run? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm free. Where do you want me to go? What do I need to do? Essentially just met him at the top of Windsport where the bobsled track is in Calgary. He's like, here, take this leather jacket. Here's your helmet. Here's our sled. This is the start. And then next thing you know, I'm just getting beat up in this thing, <laughs> having no idea what's going on. Uh-huh. Just like the worst feeling I've ever felt in my <laughs> life. And then get to the bottom and then I have to break. And again, I'm like holding these, like these steel, it's just like, essentially it's like a rake that kind of just pops out the bottom and it like digs into the ice. That's what stops the sled. I stopped the sled and then he gets out. He's like, okay, you can get out now. And I'm pretty disoriented and I feel like I'm going to throw up. I don't feel good. I'm like contemplating life. (laughs) And then he's like, Hey, like we need to do another run. Like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. I can't, I can't say no. I I can only do it once. (laughs) Yeah. So we went back to the top and it was worse. (laughs) Everyone asked me what it feels like to be in a bobsled. And my description is imagine being put into a garbage can, into a washing machine, and then thrown down a hill. I mean, it's probably not that bad, but it's pretty indescribable until you actually feel it. So if someone like myself, for example, who often gets motion sick, if I'm not like driving a vehicle, would I like, would I throw up? Um, You probably get motion sick for sure. Okay. (laughs) But they do have public sleds where you can actually just like sit straight up and like watch. So you'd probably be fine with something like that. (laughs) Those are actually really fun. I've done quite a few public sleds in my days through the Calgary track and the Whistler track. And those are probably some of my favorite runs. Mm. There's people like you that are like, oh, I'm pulling shit sick. Or I'm like, I'm super afraid. And then the people that don't say they're afraid, but you can just tell that they're afraid. But then they like see them in the (laughs) sled. You're like, it's going to be okay. I got you guys. This is only my first day though. So like, (laughs) you should be okay. And you kind of just like joke around with them a little bit. Those are always the people that get to the bottom and then get out. They're like so happy. They're like, oh my God, thank you so much. This is the best thing I've ever done in my life. It's awesome. You get to share your joy of the sport. Yeah, exactly. There's not para-bobsled, right? There is actually, yeah. They're in the process of getting it for 2026, but I think they're trying to just to shoot for 2030. I'm trying to be pretty involved with the para guys. There's a couple of guys that do the para bobsleigh Mm -hmm. circuit that I talk to quite often to help them out with their driving and what to focus on and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. I wonder if it'd be similar because Lowell does cycling and he does yeah. the tandem. So his pilot is able-bodied and can see on the front. So, you know, you yeah. just have to, maybe when Taylor's done his Olympic career, <laughs> he can shift over and be your pilot for Paris. Okay. We have a plan for the future. <laughs> we often talk about uh, when people are like trying to understand what tandem is like, ah, it's kind of like a two-man bobsled. It's probably nothing similar, but it's like I'd in the back, I don't steer. Yeah. I, I, I just power yeah. it. Yeah, he like he does the same thing. Yeah. He hunkers down low and just kind of hangs on <laughs> while he pushes. Yeah, so, yeah. You you would just be like the brakeman in the back, and I'll just yeah. take you for a little ride. Yeah, absolutely, love it. <laughs> yeah, like some speed in the story. Then you go down a couple times. You're feeling sick. Where does the story go from there? I got called out a few more times that year because again, I was still in the midst of playing football, so I kept coming out a few more times, just kind of sporadically to help out and slide and kind of get my experience. And then I went back to playing football. This is like between my year two and year three playing football. So I played year three. And then after that year, I just did like a a testing camp for like the provincial level organization. I did a few international races. 
but I also wanted to switch my focus to driving. So then I did a pilot school. I was pretty medium at it. I wasn't very good. I crashed <laughs> a few times, but it's just- Gotta start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. After the driving school, we did a season together. And then the second half of the season, I started driving. And then we did a driving school out in Lake Placid, me and a few other of my teammates. And then quite a few seasons later, we qualified for the Olympics. Wow, it's very exciting. So do you have like a driver's license then if you went to driver's school? <laughs> uh, I think back in the day, they used to give out like certificates as like a little uh, thing of accomplishment. <laughs> but no, there's no like driver's license. I do actually think you need to be deemed like competent by the governing body of bobsleigh to slide. But as long as you've done a driving school and can make it safely down most of your runs, most, um, most people won't say anything yet. <laughs> Have you ever flipped? Yeah. So we call it crashing. Once you're on your side, you keep going. It's not like when you're skiing and you fall over, you stop, you follow on your side and you have to finish the run as much speed as you can. So you continue going down the track on your side in the sled, trying to hold yourself in. So that your head is not sliding on the ice. <laughs> yeah. And it usually does either your head or your shoulder. The pilots usually can get mostly under the shell of the sled. Sometimes, most times our helmet kind of still gets stuck out. So our head gets hit a few times. It kind of rolls on the ice, but the guy in the back in a two men, they're doing like a full bicep curl, trying to keep themselves in because the pressure wants to pull them out. Yeah. And then they kind of have to play a balancing game of what's going to get more hurt my head or my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. You kind of play the game of, okay, my head's on the ice for a bit. Okay. My shoulder's on the ice. Okay. My head's on the ice. I have a few helmets because I've crashed a few times in my career and the helmets after a crash are usually pretty mangled. So they, they obviously did their jobs, but yeah. they're definitely a one-time use yeah. equipment. Any concussions or? I haven't had any diagnosed concussions in bobsleigh, but. But you came for football. Oh, oh yeah, you came <laughs> yeah, for <exactly>. football. <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple of concussions in football, so. Oh boy. I'm a little, well, I'm a lot interested in your training regime and does it include yoga because you guys have to be super strong but also be able to like fold yourselves in half i enjoy yoga it's not like part of our regime but definitely like mobility and therapy and proper flexibility is definitely a key can you touch your toes i can yes oh wow how tall yeah. are you i'm um, six feet okay i'd say three quarters of our team would be able to touch their toes if they just bent over okay yeah. lol how far can you bend over <laughs> i can touch my knees <laughs> Go nice. <laughs> nice. That's good. Yeah, not 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 so bendy. The training is important to make sure you're flexible, strong. There's lots of power. Our training regime is obviously the most in the summertime because we can't slide in summer. The summer is meant for like our strength training, speed training, and then in the later summer we get to pushing in the ice house, and then into the fall we start doing team pushing, and then that'll translate into team pushing on ice. I was just thinking if you guys decided to join the Summer Olympics on the track team, you could probably push out a couple decent sprints, eh? 100-meter dashes? Yeah, so um, we don't really run much past 50 meters. <laughs> okay, new Olympic sport, 40-meter uh, dash. There we go. Yeah. So what does that look like? You're, you're pushing that fast. That's a high speed. And from that, you have to jump or do you lift yourself? How does, how does that transition go from full-on sprint to getting inside? Each position is slightly different. 
each person kind of has a different top end Mm -hmm. range where they have to get into the sled. So the pilot, when the pilot pushes on the side, he essentially just jumps up into the side and then into the sled. And then the guys pushing on the side, either left or right, they're pushing while they're going full speed. The number two guy reacts off the pilot. So then as they're reacting, they actually cross their outside foot over their front foot onto the, the side of the sled. There's a bunk. And then from the bunk, their crossover leg, they have to land on it. And then from there, they push off the bunk and push themselves inside the sled. Wow. And then the third guy then reacts off the number two guy. Same thing has to cross from the outside foot onto the bunk on the inside of their body and then jump themselves into the sled. And then the brakes guy, they got in the back, reacts off the third guy, jumps straight into the sled underneath the third guy. And then once the brakeman's in, then he says down. Once we all sit down, it's a comfortable riding position. Because if the number two guy gets in and sits down, then it wrecks. We kind of all like sit interlocking into each other. Okay. So if one guy sits down, then the guy behind him can't get his legs around him. And then the guy in the back can't get his legs around him. So then we're all sitting very uncomfortably. Fortunately for me, I have my very set position in the front. So it takes a lot for me to be not in my position unless I severely screw up something. (laughs) Um, But we want the guys in the back to be in that ideal seating position for aerodynamics and also obviously comfort as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a question about mindset, right? This We talk a lot about training and the sport, but this is also a mindset. This is overcoming fear. Those pieces about when your body says no and how do you move forward? What have you found to be the most helpful mindset tricks or mindset tools in order to do the sport? This year was probably the most mentally challenging year for me trying to qualify our spot on the games. So there's obviously a lot of doubt, a lot of uncertainty. I just tell myself, it's like, you can do this. You're good. You've got this. There's always doubt. Even in the last couple of races of the season, there's kind of flashes of me crashing the sled. So then it's just like that reassurance telling yourself, no, okay, that thought's gone. We're not crashing. I got this. I'm going to take care of the guys. I'm going to take care of the teams. I'm going to have the best run possible. We're not worried about crashing. We're worried about winning the race. Once I get into like my actual pre-race routine, I have like a little peppermint roll on that I put on my mustache to use it like a reassurance scent. That's awesome. So three sleds before I put my helmet on. And then when the second sled in front of me is cleared, I do a final mind run. And then once that mine run's done, then I put my jacket on, walk out to the line. While I'm walking up to the line, I try and think of nothing, just clarity, try and just be in the moment. When the sled in front of me is going, I just usually either stare at the ground or stare off into the distance. If anything does come up in my mind, I've kind of got a couple things I tell myself. The first one is like, it's you versus you. That's all that matters. doesn't matter what the guy in front of you is pushing, driving. It's you and your team versus yourselves, and that's it. And then have fun. Mm, nice. I remember coach going into a race a few years ago. I was really nervous, really had a lot of pressure on myself. And just before I went, he said, okay, Dale, have fun. Mm. And then it just alleviated all the pressure. Another one that I've learned through meditation is watch your breath. Mm-hmm. One corner at a time is also probably one of my most favorite things because that's all it is. It's like yeah. one corner, mm-hmm. then it's the next corner, then it's the corner after, then it's the corner after, and then you're done. And then you can analyze what you just did. About how many corners? About 13 to 20 corners. Okay. And back to when you guys hop in the sled, how often do people either trip themselves or overshoot the sled? <laughs> it's not as often as you'd think. More of a beginner thing. 
<laughs> yeah, we do. Well, no, because there was even in the World Cup, a couple World Cups this year that people tripped getting in and oh. it's kind of entertaining <laughs> to watch, but it's also like oh, terrifying shoot, for it to like, happen to this you. This guy's not going to get in. Yeah. And then you know that it's not a good riding oh. position on the way down and all that stuff. We do a lot of practice runs in the garage to make sure that when we're on the ice, there's no question. We can just push as hard as we can. And then also same for the guys, like mm-hmm. don't think about it and they just react and do. Mm-hmm. The sport is a team and that's kind of mm-hmm. how we go through life as well. Just interested in who are the important people in your life and what did you learn from them? The top guy in my circle is my very first driving coach, Dennis Marino. He's still coaching the Alberta program. I did the driving school with him and he's still involved, still around. Even this year, I went to him quite a few times. He's always been there for me and he's definitely been a massive help and motivation for me throughout all the years. Mm -hmm. There's one Olympian, Lasalas Brown, everyone called him King. Mm -hmm. He's from Jamaica. He competed for Jamaica in 2002, the 2002 games. He's been a huge motivation for me. He came down to push me in a race in Park City, Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah um, in 2007, I'm pretty sure. That race and his approach, the setup, the preparations, that really defined me and how I view the race and my mindset going into races and the like one corner at a time, doing your best, the result will be what the result is, is is very much a tribute to him. Beautiful. So... Outside of sport, who's supporting you on this journey? I definitely say my family. Number one, they've always been there for me. Several of my family members have come up to Calgary to watch me compete. Are they still in Lethbridge? Yeah, the majority of my family is still in Lethbridge, yeah. And you have siblings? Yeah, I've got a little sister. She's succeeding in life as well. She just graduated from university with two degrees. So, Oh, wow. Super proud of her. You know, we've probably bumped into your family and not even known it. Yeah, oh, for sure, especially <laughs> how small town it is. So Yeah. Wow, it's like time to let you go. I still have more time to talk if you guys have more questions. I just have the list from our kids. Okay, yeah. Okay, uh, how good. fast you go, you already answered that. Um, yeah. They asked, what does it feel like to be in the front versus the back? So if you've done both okay. positions, how does that feel? Uh, that's actually a great question. The pilot, the way that he sits, it's kind of as if you're like in a lazy boy almost, but then your leg, yeah, your legs are straight out and then there's a seat behind you. So you're pretty comfortable and then you're pushing on foot pegs. So you're in a very supported position. The further back you go, the more pressure there is. So the front of the sled, there's like a little bit of pressure. I'd say like a one out of 10, maybe a two out of 10. And then the number two guy is like a three to four out of 10. The guy in the, the number three spot is like a six, seven. And the guy in the back is like a 10 out of 10 pressure. Okay. So definitely the further you go back, the more pressure there is. And then as a pilot, you kind of know when you've given the guy in the back a little more pressure. <sighs> so after you run, you're like, you go up to me like, hey man, sorry. Like <laughs> went a little late into this corner. <laughs> still yeah. friends, still friends. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then we, and then we go do it again. And usually <laughs> fix it again. the second run. <laughs> yeah. They usually fix it on the second run and they're like, okay, you're not, you're not doing that on purpose. I'm like oh, just trying <laughs> yeah. to go fast, but yeah. What does it feel like going around a corner? very difficult to describe because you are going pretty much straight sideways instead of being seated you're now 90 degrees the other way and then back down oh just imagine being i guess on a roller coaster i was just gonna say does it feel like a roller coaster yeah similar it's still different but yeah, yeah. similar when you're like on a roller coaster you go around a, go around a corner and then next thing you know you're 
sideways and then you're back down. It's kind of a yeah. similar feeling to that. Okay. Um, but then obviously there's like a, like a G pressure pushing you down into the sled as well. And then there's like a side to side bumping you around inside the sled as well. Oh wow! The inside of the sled is essentially just, it's the fiberglass shell and then a metal frame down the side. And then that's it. There's minimal padding. There's not really handles, but there's kind of handles. No heaters. <laughs> no, no heaters. Definitely no heaters. Those were banned in like the eighties, the seventies. Oh, they're People actually tried to like heat their sleds back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? yeah. Cause it's, it's like an aerodynamic speed thing. You try and heat your sled to go faster. Oh, anyway, oh like yeah. A, Cause a you like slid down. For another time. Mm, wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So the inside of the sled is bare minimum. So there's no real comfort in it either. So there's always bruises and bumps and stuff like that. Wow. I enjoy watching bobsled, but given these descriptions, like I, like I do not <laughs> like roller coasters at all. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, uh, yeah. That probably wouldn't be my thing. I do love watching it though. So good for you. Yeah. Um, and then another question they had was, do you have certain spots within the sled, which we know that you do, but the second and third place people, can they kind of swap with each other or do they have their own unique roles in their spots too? For like team cohesion, you kind of want to, once you have your set spot, you want to kind of stick to it. So you can always just really practice that and ingrain it. But absolutely. Once you can push from the left side, you can push from the right side. Once you load it two, you can load three. They all have their nuances, but okay. it's very possible to do. Good to know. Do you have any other questions, Lil? Yeah, I'm always thinking about you know, our challenges in life. That's our, our podcast is Obstacles and Opportunities. And just trying to yeah, see how, how the struggles in life later can turn into something usually, right? Our setbacks can be setups or we learn something through that obstacle. Have there been any indicators of that or any instances of that in your life? How have you seen the challenges in your life? After the 2018 games, I kind of went through some injuries and rehabilitation and then that kind of set me in a slow progression to get back into the season. I wasn't in a good place physically and then therefore wasn't named to the national team. So that was really tough on me. Despite that going on, I still really focus on the driving aspect of my bobsled development. I still ended up racing a few races that year, still sliding quite a bit. I did do quite a bit of public sleds that year just to still get the feel of it. And then again, like spread the joy, still have fun with sliding as well. But that really motivated me to continue pushing, to continue going forward, to show myself that I can actually get back and can actually be very successful. As hard as that was, I don't think I would be in the position I am here today, which is talking to you guys, mm -hmm. which is my journey now to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. We're very proud of you. Very and yeah, thank you. your city supports you, Calgary and Lethbridge yeah, awesome. for sure. Lots of team, lots yeah. of Canadians cheering you on. So definitely Lethbridge at heart. Yeah. <laughs> when you're there on the, in the start, what do they call it? The starting gate? The at the start, <laughs> uh, the start block. Yeah, yeah. Just the the block. We just call it the block for some reason because it's just like a yeah. chunk of either the block. Uh, it's a block. Wood or, <laughs> yeah, it's literally just a block <laughs> in the ice. That makes sense. Okay. So so store this yeah. in your heart. Store this in that diamond inside your heart. When you're there, yeah. Beijing and all these things. When you're clearing your mind, just know you were loved. You were supported, and be present in that moment, knowing that you are enough and that your team Canada is behind you. Yeah, we can't wait to cheer oh, you on. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before I forget, we do have to take a, uh, a screenshot. We'd like of... to do a, a, a picture. A little photog, if you oh, don't mind. Okay, sounds good. You look like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, okay.
I got a pair of like brown Burks too. Usually when I wear those, they, <laughs> they call me out every once in a while. You look like so. the, yeah. Like the, the westernized Jesus. The white western Jesus yeah. that we've seen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll share that later. You're our first conversation of 2022. We kind of took a break over oh, the holidays amazing. and then nice. work's been busy and stuff. And then I started seeing your name all over the place and I was like, oh my goodness, okay. we have a Lethbridge athlete. Yeah. Is there any way people can follow along? <laughs> well, Instagram, we're Instagram friends, lol. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Instagram at Tate underscore Lloyd. Lloyd is my middle name. Taylor and Austin are very popular names. So trying to find an Instagram name with those two names is pretty much impossible. Yeah. I totally get it. My name is Julie Taylor. Also very, very common oh, names. Yeah. Same. I'm one of like a gazillion. Whatever. It's okay. fine. Not, not in my heart. <laughs> oh, well, gosh, shucks. Aww, there we go. That's what I needed to hear. That was just a cherry on top. Yeah. You know? A little, a little love. Jam there. Oh, funny. There um, do you have anything else to promote other than the Olympics? I was just nominated by CanFund as the recipient of CanFund. Ooh. CanFund is a private organization that supports amateur athletes like myself. Shout out CanFund. Your passion, your heart. You are a great storyteller, and it's great to get the inside scoop on this amazing sport that is part of Canadian culture. And yeah. from the 88 Olympics and the Calgary track, now the Whistler track and our, and our kind of homemade Canadian athletes, you are a product of those earlier games. So thank you for coming on and sharing that journey with us. Thank you very much. And I definitely wouldn't be in this position without the inspiration from all those athletes from those home games and since. Definitely hope to inspire athletes myself. I've often heard of this idea of the ripple effect in our life that at one point we will die and, and we won't be anymore, but yet who we are and part of who we are will ripple throughout many generations and many people. And so you being an inspiration, following this passion might touch the life of somebody else that then follows a dream and lives big and, and has that impact on others. And then they will continue to impact others. And so this dream, this passion, this life that you have will continue to ripple for ages to come. So. Go out and live big and live with your passion. Especially being someone from little old Lethbridge where we don't even have a bobsled track. Now the kids around here <laughs> yeah. can be like, what? I can become a bobsledder. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, the sugar bowl is probably <laughs> the closest thing to a bobsled track. And I've done quite a few rips down that thing. <laughs> is there even snow there? Well, we Not had right another now. Chinook. So no, it's, no, it's like, so it's gone. but if you know, ask again tomorrow, we'll probably yeah. have a, a blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it yeah, happens so, around Southern here. Southern Alberta weather is, is insane. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Say hello and best of luck to your teammates as well. We'll be cheering you guys all on. Yeah, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us on this crazy journey of yours. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It still hasn't hit home yet, but those opening ceremonies yeah. are going to be fun. Soak it in and trade yeah. those pins wisely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's actually been the advice that I've gotten from uh, quite a few people that have gone to a few games. It's just, yeah, soak it in. Walk slowly. Mm. Yeah, enjoy it. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. Well, have a good sleep. It's your. Is it your nighttime there now? It's it's nine, almost nine. I actually have an interview with Global Lethbridge in about half an hour. Oh, so. Global Lethbridge. Yeah. We beat Global Lethbridge. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a little local love. Well, all Albertans and Canadians are pumped for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. See you in Beijing. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. See you, Taylor. Bye. Taylor Austin from Lethbridge, Alberta. Woo! That was fun. I have always enjoyed bobsledding. It's the one winter Olympic sport that I always try to catch. There's just something about that energy and the speed. And then, of course, 
when Cool Runnings came out. <laughs> it's one of my favorite childhood memories, one of my favorite childhood movies. Just the excitement, the sport, the inside scoop. I went to that movie in the theater for my 13th birthday, I believe. I'll have to look at the date of when that came out to see if my memories are accurate. <laughs> but that's what my memories tell me. Yeah. Anybody who hasn't seen Cool Runnings? Oh, there's going to be, people are going to be watching that before these yeah. Olympics, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Jamaica's back. And we'll have to watch that with the boys. So this idea, going down this frozen sheet of ice, like a water slide, and just trying not to crash, going as fast as you can up to 150 plus kilometers an hour. This is just so exciting. I would love to do that. Any athletes that do cycling in the summer and bobsled in the winter? Not sure. It's more cycling and speed skating. I think actually, and I fact check this, but I think Kate O'Brien also does bobsledding or she was doing that before she entered the Paralympic realm realm really? before her accident. Hmm. So I don't know, might have to edit this out, but I believe <laughs> Kate O'Brien also did bobsledding and it's something I would love to try one day, but now the Calgary track is closed. We'll have to try that out at Whistler. Is it already closed? Point. Yeah, I believe it's already closed. Oh, shit. Yeah, Taylor speaking about this idea of being present in that moment. It's so easy to be on the start, at the start block, the gate, and get pulled up in the anxieties, the other racers, what's happening to everybody else. But he was really reiterating this idea of be present. It's you versus you. It's, it's you in that moment, and you can put down your best result, and then it's just how those all stack up. So not to be pulled away from everything else that was going on. It's a really important lesson for all of us. Just be present in your life, not to be pulled into everything that everybody else is doing. And we are excited to have you along as well, all of you listeners, for yeah. another season. Welcome we back. are back into podcasting and are excited to have you join us as we have a lot more wonderful conversations with amazing and incredible athletes and those who have overcome difficulties in their life who are achieving greatness. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to our podcast. It was a year ago that we started it, right? February yeah. 2021, I think, is when our first episode dropped. In 2022, it, it looks like we won't probably be as consistent with sharing episodes. We've got a lot going on in our lives. It's pretty bonkers. So we will share our incredible conversations as we have them. Oh, hope you don't love consistency. <laughs> <laughs> so subscribe, listen, and as they come out, continue to be inspired by these incredible athletes. Can't wait to tune in to Beijing 2022. The Winter Olympics are already here. So I can't believe Olympics. it. We never get this because, you know, of course, Tokyo was postponed a year. So this is what a, what a turnaround. My goodness, I love the Olympics. So make sure, everybody, you're tuning in to the Olympics and the Paralympics after. And let's cheer on our athletes. Woohoo. Awesome. Until next time. Okay. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.